Welcome to Room for Growth, a Willow Tree podcast about growth marketing hosted by Billy Lowen and me, Billy Fisher. Whether you're an industry expert or just getting started, there's plenty of room to grow. Share this episode with your favorite coworker, follow us wherever you enjoy podcasts, and reach out if you'd like to join the show. You ready, Billy? I'm ready, Billy. Let's go. Let's f***ing grow. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Room for Growth and excited to have you join us today. Billy is in Iceland. I think we talked about that on a previous episode. So at some point, we'll have to ask her about her experiences. But today we're joined by one of our Willow Tree team members, Rebecca O'Connor. And, you know, I was thinking as we look back at some of the, the guests that we've had on the podcast from some of our amazing client partners and from other brands that are, are doing really cool things. It's easy to forget that yeah, I work alongside some people that are really talented and it's really mind-blowing the multiple skills that people have and the different experiences that people have working with brands that are well-known, international brands. And that's exactly what we're going to talk to Rebecca about. And so I um, had a recent experience with her on a project where I walked away thinking, wow, she really knows her stuff when it comes to CRM. And she's really in the weeds. So somebody we have to pull onto the podcast because I have a sense the types of things that she's addressing and, and handling are things that our listeners, marketers are dealing with every day. And so excited to share Rebecca with you and talk a little bit about her experiences and get into the weeds of the CRM landscape a bit. Today, it is my great pleasure to sit down and talk with Rebecca O'Connor, one of our CRM experts here at Willow Tree. Rebecca will share common mistakes she sees marketers make and give invaluable insights into how you can start 2023 right. Before we start talking shop, I'll share a little bit more about our guest. Rebecca is bilingual, speaking both Spanish and English fluently. We will not be speaking Spanish on this episode today. Uh, She attended Tufts University and started her career in the nonprofit space focused on Latin America policy analysis. Wow. In 2018, she moved to Argentina to work in political and regulatory risk slash strategic affairs. This same year, she won a Fulbright binational business grant, which took her to Mexico City. In Mexico, Rebecca started her career in growth at Postmates. She's brilliant, she's kind, and she has a lot to share. Rebecca, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much, Billy. I'm honored to be a podcast guest. You guys have had such a storied list of guests, so so honored to be here with you today. So Rebecca's joining us from Boston today, and Rebecca would love to hear about your background. Are you from Boston, or where'd you grow up? I'm not a native of Boston. In fact, I'm in enemy territory. I'm from New York. I think I'm a third or fourth generation New Yorker, so definitely New York, not native to Boston, but I do, I do like it here a lot. Um, So I grew up on Long Island about halfway out. That is where I'm from. Yeah. So as a kid, I'm sure you grew up as a, as a young second grader saying, one day I'm going to be in growth marketing. Uh, No, kidding. So did you want to be in like communications, this interest in how'd you get to that, to Latin American policy analysis, which is even more wild. How'd you get there? What were you interested in as a kid and how to expand? Yeah, I think I was always interested in languages. Spanish was always my favorite class. So really kind of interested in languages. And as I 
got into high school, started to be interested in history and policy and laws and elections. And that led me to study international relations in Spanish. And I think those two things combined to take me to Latin American policy analysis. Rebecca, as I mentioned in the intro, you were a Fulbright Binational Business Grant Award winner. That's extremely impressive. Can you tell us a little bit more about that process and how you uh, won that grant? Yeah, I, I can tell you probably more about it than you want to know. I could tell you lots about it. So I think when people think about Fulbright, they think about their students that come to the U.S. to do their graduate degree. So there's super talented people from all over the world that come here to study. And then I think people also commonly know about people from the U.S. going to other countries to teach English. But there's a host of different specialty Fulbrights. So I think in Chile, they have like a science one. There's a journalism one somewhere. Um, and this grant that I was awarded is a special grant in Mexico called the Binational Business Grant. So they send a small group of folks from the U.S. to Mexico, small group of folks from Mexico to the U.S. And the theory here is that these neighboring countries have these super interconnected business environments and people need to know more. People who are operating in businesses in the U.S. should know more about Mexico and vice versa. And so I was very lucky to be placed at Postmates on the growth team. Um, and that was such an amazing experience. And that's where I, I started working in growth. So when we talk about Postmates, you know, they're in that space alongside, the, you know, that third party delivery space, right? Grubhub, DoorDash, Uber Eats, that sort of thing. And I would imagine in Mexico City, Mexico City is a, an enormous city. Are they dealing with the similar challenges that, you know, a, a Postmates of New York City would deal with? So I was so fortunate that they had such a great tech stack. I think, you know, when we think about best-in-class tech stacks, Postmates really had it. I was using Braze and Amplitude every day. So it was an amazing first growth um, job to have. And then, you know, it was an international expansion. I think when I got there, they had been operating in Mexico for a little less than a year. So there was still so much to do from an operations perspective as well, really on the ground working with couriers, signing up couriers, dealing with validation of people's driver's licenses, onboarding people to the app, both users and couriers, helping restaurants if they're running a special promotion. Okay, we're going to send a team of people to help facilitate this growth marketing promotion and kind of really make sure from an operational perspective that these things go off without a hitch. All right, Rebecca. So how do you... You, know, you went from... In kind of a business, you know, you're studying business, uh, particularly with this Latin American focus, and you stumbled into this growth marketing industry, which I don't always love that term growth marketing, because it's kind of confusing. I'll talk to people in public relations or communications, or even in marketing, and they'll be like, what exactly is growth marketing? I was like, well, I guess it's digital marketing. Uh, and it's, it's, so it's a unique marketers, we love to put new terms on everything. But generally speaking, how would you say, you know, one gets into to a growth marketing career? Are there kind of benefits from coming from one industry to the other? What do you think? So I actually, I didn't study business. I studied international relations in Spanish. My background is not from an education perspective in this at all. I wrote my thesis about Latin American dystopian literature, fun fact. So I was, I was not studying business. Um, I think it's interesting when I started at Postmates, right? I was worried, am I going to know about this stuff? Am I going to be able to, what value am I going to be able to offer this company with this kind of amazing business and technology? And when I got into it, I started to realize, wait a second, 
I was doing a bunch of this stuff when I was in the policy analysis space. We just weren't calling it growth marketing. We weren't calling it email marketing. We weren't calling it demand generation, but we were doing these things. So, you know, if we were producing a blog post or a report about a given kind of policy change or occurrence in Latin America, so we would do, for example, a series on electric transportation, electric vehicles in Latin America. We would be writing these blog posts and reports. We would be emailing these out. We would be thinking, okay, who's the list of people who's specifically interested in energy program content versus, okay, this person is a policymaker focused on education. So we only are going to send them publications about education or they're only interested in immigration or they're interested in Latin America as a whole. So you know, we weren't thinking about this from a segmentation and preference center perspective, but we were doing this segmentation and we were doing email marketing, granted, which with much worse software, and I'm not going to tell you how we were doing it in a very manual and bad way from a growth marketing perspective, but we were kind of doing a lot of this stuff or having a webinar that, you know, for us was a policy analysis event, but this was a way that we got new subscribers. It was a demand generation event. We just weren't calling it that. And you know, we were going into Google Analytics and saying, okay, which of our efforts is driving the most traffic to this research? So for us, it was more about the research and the product and the conversations and the policy analysis. But of course, if you create that, you don't want it to live in a vacuum. You have to get it to the right people. I sit on the board of a like a, a community theater, children's community theater, and they offer classes and then live theater events. And when they were talking to me about some of their CRM challenges, they kept pointing to the fact that, you know, like we're small and we don't have this figured out. And they were almost like apologizing. And I had to almost stop them at some point and say, some of the biggest companies in the world have this same exact challenge that you're describing and have not figured it out. Um, and so with that, you know, you've had the opportunity to kind of parachute into a few of these what I call gnarly situations. What are some of the common mistakes that you see brands making, particularly when it comes to CRM? Yeah, I love that you bring up the community theater because I think there's so many opportunities to leverage these growth marketing principles in other areas. I live in an apartment on top of a restaurant and they send out a newsletter and it's a fantastic newsletter. And when I go into the restaurant, I always tell them, you guys are doing a great job with your emails. They look so good. You know, the local library does a great job with their email newsletter. There's room to apply this kind of growth marketing thinking in non-tech and non large companies' spaces, and there's room to really make an impact for your users or your constituents. Yeah. So at the big level, you know, think Fortune 1000, we see these, it's almost a harder problem to solve because there's like so many platforms, so many stakeholders. But like, what are some of the common mistakes that, that have become accustomed to seeing, you know, when we walk into some of these, these scenarios? So I think a lot of, I don't know if I would call it a mistake, but something that's underutilized, under leveraged is a preference center and preferences and just, first of all, collecting the right preferences. So I think a lot of times what we see people doing is they're collecting some preferences, right? Maybe they have a few different lists that they're sending to, but there's some critical differentiation among their consumer base that they have no space for the customers to tell them hey, actually, I only want to receive communications about this sub-segment. I want to receive A and C, but not B. Please do not send me information about B. And that, that field just doesn't exist in the preference center. So if you think about like a movie theater, 
and there's no place to tell them, hey, actually, I only want to receive PG and PG-13 stuff because I go with my kids. Or, you know, you can extrapolate this to all sorts of different industries, but I think that's a really common mistake. Or you're collecting it, but then you're not honoring it. And <laughs> I, debatable, which is, that's probably worse, right? But they're both bad. So you collect it and you don't honor it. And the customer, the user has given you this very valuable gift of their zero party data. And then you're not leveraging that. That's a big problem. Yeah. Shame on you. Yeah. It seems like a lot of brands, particularly in email, or I think this is specific to email, the preference center um, kind of op opportunity only comes up at unsubscribe. And so it's like, I've hit that moment where I'm like, all right, enough of the emails every day. I'm going to unsubscribe. And then it's like, hey, we have other options that, that are available. Do you only want to hear about new products? Or, you know, and it's, I feel like that's way too late. At that point, you're just like, you've already committed to like, no, I'm sick of these things. And um, so, but when I think of the best preference centers, the immediately comes to mind are like the streaming and professional sports teams are the ones that I always go to. Am I missing? Have you seen other good preference center examples uh, in other industries or verticals that pop in your head? You know, what I really like is when people have an opportunity to opt down in communication. So we were talking about is this moment of unsubscribe, right? You're fed up, you've had enough, you go and you say, okay, I don't want to receive emails anymore. But now there's a choice where you can say, less, just once a month, just only when it's a sale. This way, you're not losing that customer entirely. I think people really miss the mark when they don't have that opt down. And there are so many different brands you know, that I subscribe to as a customer that I still want to receive their emails, but I want less. You know, I bought contacts. I bought a year's supply of contacts. I don't need to receive an email to buy more contacts all the time. I don't need any more. I have them. But I keep getting the emails and I don't want to unsubscribe. I want to tell them, just send me less. You can send me the annual reminder. I'll buy them again. You can send me an occasional upsell for glasses, but you can't email me three times a month. But there's no in-between. And I think that that's a big mistake that people are making. And you then lose that touch point with the customer entirely. Yeah, this kind of just automated assumption that's like, okay, we've collected an email address. So let's put every single email address that we have into the same batch and just blast them with emails. Is It's got to go. We've got to move on from that. And I think the best preference centers, to your point, they don't need to be just email. And you'll see this in professional sports teams apps. Sometimes you'll have options to in-app adjust how often or what kind of emails are you going to receive push notifications, you want to have the option for people to say, hey, I prefer actually to receive only push notifications and no emails or vice versa. So Rebecca, you know, we're talking about common pitfalls that companies make when thinking about CRM. And I think a lot of companies are in the midst of having these discussions like I'm seeing it more than ever right now, because my theory is that so many companies have now invested a lot of dollars over the past couple of years in digital experience. And now there is a huge demand to capitalize on those investments. And so there's a ton of eyes on like, okay, we redesigned the mobile app. We overhauled the entire thing. We launched these new features. What ROI are we getting? And so there's a lot of eyeballs on kind of optimization at the moment. Another thing that we constantly see are brands buying licenses to some of our favorite platforms, other platforms, 
and then not using the features. I have, I'm terrible with analogies, but it's like the, you buy the Ferrari and then you drive it 35 miles per hour downtown. You drive it like a Buick. Um, it's like, come on, it's a Ferrari. Let's test this thing. And so, you know, why do you think, why is this? Is it because of technical capabilities or, um, you know, why do you think this happens? I mean, I think there's a few different reasons it can happen. And this is something that we see all the time. This is something that I've experienced in in in-house marketing teams. I think there's a few different reasons. It could be kind of a skills gap or a knowledge gap on the marketing side. It could be a bandwidth constraint. I think a lot of times marketers and growth teams, whoever's kind of executing this function within a given organization is really stretched super, super thin being asked to support, you know, normal newsletters and kind of constant campaigns that are going out plus product launches plus all sorts of different things plus analytics and there's just not really kind of time to dig into these features and it hasn't been made a priority i think a lot of times people are not using all of the features because there's some kind of data constraint so perhaps thinking about braze right you haven't set up purchase events you haven't set up custom events you're not tracking these things within the CRM and that's really going to hamstring you. You know, you're not going to be able to use the full functionality if you don't take the time to set that up correctly and you're not going to be able to AB test effectively and you're not going to be able to measure conversions. You're really not going to be using the full suite of features. But I would say something that I love about Willowtree, in fact, probably my favorite part of working here is that we, the growth team, are constantly looking at these new features and thinking about how can we leverage these with our clients. So There's someone on the growth team. Every time Braze does a product webinar release, she hosts a watch party. We all watch together. We talk about how are we going to leverage these features for our clients. And I kid you not, within a week, people are doing it. It's unbelievable the speed with which these features are released. And there are people on the growth team using them, constantly floored by our colleagues on the growth team. Yeah, that's awesome. I'd like geeks about this space would be an understatement for sure. And we're in an amazing time where these great platforms that we love to leverage are only getting better at every every quarterly release. It's super exciting. Uh, with that, you know, talk to me a little bit of something that's been you've hinted at it a couple times during our conversation, but real time data availability and segment creation. Like segment creation is something that is kind of a, a hot topic in client discussions with us. But I know that's something that you're super passionate about. Can you talk a little more about about that? Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, this goes back to the kind of custom events and the purchase events and having that data available to you in your CRM, either directly or via your CDP. You really want to have this real-time data available so that you can create and the marketing team is empowered to create the segments in platform or in the CDP and push them down to your CRM, to paid social, to all of the different downstream platforms that you're going to need it in. When you have to, as the marketer, go to your data analytics team and ask them, can you please make me this list? Or you yourself maybe are writing a query to pull these people. That shouldn't be happening, right? That information has to be available to you in your CRM from an operational efficiency standpoint and from an accuracy of your list standpoint. I mean, imagine that you wrote a SQL query to pull who had an abandoned cart. Is that going to be relevant by the time you get this email out the door? This, you know, you shouldn't be doing that. That's just a red flag when you see that happening at your organization. We need to take a pause and we need to really examine 
what is the strategy? What is the process here? We need to dig into this. And there's a lot, we see this all the time, people sending lists around. This is super common, but that's an opportunity to really make some change at your organization and make an investment to do things in a more efficient way. Yeah. You know, I always kind of at odds when talking to to clients about CRM and CDP, you know, these really great new technical tools that we know brands are investing in and need to have. And the barrier to that is so many brands look at it as like a one-time investment. Like we just got to stand this thing up and then we'll have all of the, the capabilities. And the reality is, you know, there's heavy lifting that needs to be done to build a foundation and create that initial initial opportunity. But it's not a one and done at all. And there's ongoing technical needs. And again, back to bad analogies, I have thrown so many bad analogies into the marketplace uh, when trying to explain this, but said simply like this is something that you will have to continue to invest in both from a technical side and from an ongoing kind of marketing talent optimization side. And, And that is a message that is getting lost sometimes where it's like, okay, how do we stand this thing that you say we need up? And then when can we start expecting results from it? And and sure, that's a, a fair question, but that this ongoing enhancement thing is something that I think is a, a message that I'm starting to put out there more often. And it makes me sad because sometimes it crushes the dreams of, you know, what these platforms have to offer. But, you know, I don't know if, if you agree or if, if there's kind of other ideas that you have around that. Yeah, I mean, I definitely agree. I don't think people should be discouraged by the fact that it's an ongoing investment. Really, it's something that's exciting, right? These platforms that we're talking about are constantly evolving, constantly creating new features. I would say you make this upfront investment, right? You create a plan, you create your priority campaigns, your priority journeys that you want customers to have. You set up those campaigns and hopefully a bunch of those campaigns are triggered and they're automated and you can leave them alone and move on to the next set. Um, of campaigns that you want to run. But I would encourage people to think of it a little bit like a product roadmap, right? Okay, in Q2, we're going to start doing this kind of triggered campaign and we don't have this custom event available in Braze. So we're going to ask our colleagues on the dev team to create this. We're going to set this up and we're going to, we have on the email side, we're working on creative, we're working on getting the canvas set up. You know, think of it like a product roadmap and don't be discouraged, but think of it like developing any new feature or new experience for your your customers. Cool. Um, so, Rebecca, we're talking so much about CRM, and like the best part about a really great CRM strategy is the output of that. So, it's you know we're talking a lot about analyzing data, but the messages and the automated message triggering. You know, we I keep asking the same. I keep repeating like common pitfalls or common mistakes that you see. I'm um, just curious. You know, what do you think? How can brands uh, be doing triggered messages better? What are some things that you're seeing in the market? Yeah, well, I would say first you want to make sure you have some triggered messages, right? So often we see people are doing so much by hand; they don't have these messages scheduled as they don't have them set up as triggers. They have them as scheduled messages. So first you want to make sure you have some triggered messages. That's going to be number one. You want to make sure you have that real-time data availability, like we talked about, to trigger the message off of the appropriate, you know, change in customer status, customer event, purchase event, what have you, and make sure that that's arriving to them in real time and not, for example, you know, finish your sign up, but 
I just finished it a minute ago, or you left this in your cart. Actually, I bought it an hour ago. So that real-time data availability is going to be crucial here. And if you don't have it, again, it's just going to really limit what you can do. I'll tell you someone who does a great triggered message. I'll tell you the best triggered message I ever received. I still think about it. I've got a folder of my favorite emails. Nerd alert. Yeah. 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 (laughs) Major. There's a DSW automated price drop email. Amazing. I needed these winter boots. We said I'm in Boston. It's freezing cold. I was in the market for some snow boots. I knew which brand of snow boot I wanted. They were super expensive. I was waffling. Should I buy them? Should I not buy them? I waited just deep enough into the winter that they went on sale. I had been browsing them. I got the price drop alert. I bought them in like five minutes. I was like, this has got to be a mistake. It was a huge discount. I hopped right on it. And that's a great email. Yeah, for sure. That's amazing. You know, DSW, I'm in Columbus, Ohio, and that's where where they are headquartered. They have done some really good uh, work. They've come up a few times when brands are talking about really great loyalty messaging strategies. So not a brand that that we talk about all the time amongst the Nike and Disney and Apple that that comes up all the time. We'll ask you a question about that later. But so some of the mighty work that they're doing at DSW, well done. So when we think about, we're talking a lot about push and email and and kind of these individual tactics or different channels. And this is something that Billy and I have talked about quite a few times. I think Billy at one point was like, stop uh, siloing your messaging, stop siloing your screaming from the mountaintops. But um, with that, like, talk to me a little about your thoughts on email centric versus channel agnostic. What's your take on this general topic? Yeah, I mean, I think to the extent possible, you want to give your customers and your users that choice, right? For them to be able to say, I prefer email, I prefer SMS, I prefer push notifications. You know, Braze has a great feature, the intelligent channel selection, so you can select, okay, deliver this message on the channel where the user is most likely to engage. I think even better is if the customer tells you themselves, right? Because just because they opened and clicked on the email, doesn't mean that that is their preference. But that intelligent select tool is great. And their customers are going to have different preferences for different brands. You know, I get push notifications for Target all the time. I never get emails from Target. I really like that. I have the Target app. I like the Target app. The push notifications do not bother me. If I'm not interested, I don't open it. If I am interested, I do open it. And then there are times when you're going to prefer an email like these Spotify personalized concert recommendations. These are some of my favorite emails too. I like that in my email. I want to be able to refer back to that. I want to be able to forward that to a friend and say, let's go see whoever, you know, at at whatever date they're playing. And that for me is an email case, but maybe for someone else, they would rather push notification. Yeah. You know, I recently came across like an even greater sin of just like not siloing your message. I couldn't believe it. I did not know this was a thing, but brands that get caught up in what is a product push versus a marketing push. And so they will, the discussion around, well, we'll use one platform for our product related pushes, meaning like just your classic experiential things as you're using an app. And for promotional messages, that's a marketing thing and they get to use it over there. And I was like, oh no, this is like, this is not how you want to, how you want to do it. Um, These should all be kind of one kind of grouped unified messaging to our consumer. Um, So certainly gives me hope because there's a lot of opportunity to continue to solve some of these problems for large brands. So anyways, Rebecca, awesome to, to talk to you today about CRM. 
I think we've gotten into the weeds a, a, a little bit. I'm curious, you know, before we send you off, I want to ask a couple of questions that are just maybe a little more fun or a, a little less in the weeds. But uh, you've had an interesting career and certainly have had different opportunities across the globe. So I would imagine some very diverse experiences and, and advice over the years. What's the best or possibly worst career advice that, that you've ever received? Always so hard to say a, a best choice. I would say something that I would say anytime someone tells you that something's going to be too hard for you to do or you shouldn't try that, you should ignore them. So I remember in a past job I wanted, I had thought of this way that we were going to save some money in the nonprofit space. We're always trying to think of, okay, how are we going to kind of take down the budget or spend less money here, or be able to use it on something else. And I had thought of this way we were going to leverage the software, which we already had. We had the licenses for to save some money. And I remember a few of my colleagues telling me, no, that software is really complicated. You're not going to be able to do that. Obviously, that only made me want to do it more. I was like, not only am I going to do it, but I'm going to do it by the end of the week because I'm so annoyed. But I think anything that you want to try or kind of are wanting to test out and the ability to kind of learn a new software and read the documentation and kind of teach yourself new things, you should absolutely do. Kind of don't get caught up in thinking, you know, if someone works in another industry and they're interested in growth marketing or works in growth marketing and are interested in another industry, whatever it is, your experiences are more applicable than you think they would be. Don't let anyone tell you that it's not relevant or, or not applicable. Love that. Yeah, we see. And I, another thing I like here at Willowtree, we'll see folks move between roles and it's kind of a welcomed thing where somebody will say, hey, maybe that, that's actually of interest to me and I, that might be a, a direction I want to head. So I'm um, not getting stuck in in a lane. So no, everybody always says their best career advice. So I'm glad that you shared, you know, something on the worst side. It's a little different. And then we love to ask all of our guests to talk positive trash about a brand that they love. You know, we're, we're talking about marketing and loyalty. You already gave kind of a, a hat tip to DSW. Is there a, a brand that, you know, just that you love the way that they interact with you? You love the experience that, that you'd want to share? I mean, I can talk more about DSW. I really love DSW. I, you know, I don't actually go to DSW very often, which kind of says a lot about how great of a job they're doing that they occupy this space in my mind, even though I go like once a year. Um, I love their emails. I love the experience in store. I think they do a great job with the rewards and the loyalty program. I love this. You can bring in an old pair of shoes and they'll give you reward credit. I think it's like a $5 coupon if you bring in old shoes that are either to donate or recycle. And that kind of plays on this, you know, emotional experience, right? Like, okay, I feel like the sustainability component is covered. I don't feel bad about buying new shoes because I brought in my old shoes and you kind of are able to dispose of them in a responsible way. So I love DSW. They get aggressive with their offers too. I recently got a like a rewards offer that was $30 off a $40 or more purchase. And I was like, whoa, that is a significant... I don't know what the percentage is there, but that's insane. Like, are you kidding me? You haven't been there in a while, probably. They're really trying to get you in. You, you fell into a good segment. Well, we saved that coupon. So that's it was effective. But yeah, so is there another brand though that is, is top of mind to you? Yeah, I would say I, I really like the Target app a lot. I like Spotify a lot. I'm really loyal to Spotify and Target. Both great experience in terms of, I mean, I talked already about those Spotify personalized emails. I think that that's just amazing. I love the way they do their preference center. Target, I, I love the app and I love the different channels. I think it, it's great. 
One of the things I've been thinking a lot about lately are brands partnering with other brands. Um, Starbucks and Delta recently did this where you can earn Delta loyalty points with your Starbucks uh, coffee purchase. The what you mentioned earlier, the Spotify concert recommendations. Do the, do you know? Do they have a brand partner for that to where you can actually purchase tickets to that show? Is that is that part of it? Yes, I do think that they have like affiliate links in there. So if you land on the Ticketmaster or the AXS or whatever it is page, I think Spotify is getting a commission on those. All right. Yeah, figured that they're well, well ahead of me. No, no surprise. But uh, yeah, that's an awesome feature. It's like if you're listening to this artist all the time, how many times have you like saw or heard, oh, so-and-so was in town yesterday? You're like, dang, I would have loved to have gone to that show. So that's a, a super convenient feature. Yeah, it's an email you look forward to, right? If it's an email or a push notification you look forward to, you're doing a good job. Heck yeah. Awesome. Well, Rebecca, it was so good to chat with you today. Thanks for joining us on uh, uh, Room for Growth during Billy's absence. We look forward to hearing uh, about her trip to Iceland. But uh, thanks for giving us your time and uh, look forward to, to working with you next year. Yes, absolutely. My pleasure. 